Good morning. We are so glad you are here at the Orchard, whether you are in the house or joining us uh, live online or maybe later in the week. And I have an entire uh, intro that I had written that was great plans, but I really have felt God asking me to pull aside from that and recognize that each of us comes here today for a different reason. Now, some of you, you were drug here, dragged here, again, not drugged here, um, <laughs> Some of you, uh, some of you, oh yeah, can we just start over? No. Some of you are here for, for many different reasons, but I know in a, in a place like this, and especially with those of you online and during this week, I know that there are, there are many of us here in the place, in the house, and listening, who we are here because we need, we need a move of God somewhere. And as I was sitting there listening to that song, Oceans, about how God's calling us out onto some places in new faith some places that take strength and courage to step out. I, I realize that there are many of us probably right here in the house who are asking God to meet us in some very tender places. Places where in our past we have been hurt, we have been abused, we have, we have things in our past that, that, that continue to define us. And, and God would say this morning, it's time to stop being defined by your nightmares and start to be defined by his dreams that he has for you. And for some of others in this place, I got the sense that, that there is just this, um, there's a new work that God is creating in you. And some of you literally, uh, there are, there are um, mothers in here with, with, um, who are pregnant with God's new work in, in, inside of them. And we pray for that. But I know for others of you, there, there are places in your life that are, there is new life, new hope. And my prayer for you today is that you would step out in faith and courage knowing that God is calling you to something. And here's what I realized as I was standing over there is that, is that God today is going to meet you where you are, but he's gonna call you to where you have not yet been. And that's my prayer for today's sermon, that whether you are new in the house, whether this is your first time here and you're just visiting and you know, it's the whole church thing, great. Whether you are a veteran and you've been doing this forever, whatever you are here for today or listening with us, that God is gonna meet you where you are and call you where you have not yet been. Every week we say it. Our prayer is that God, that we would be in this place and we would have an encounter with the Almighty and leave different in some way. That's my prayer for you. And so as we go into today's parable, one of the, the parables of Jesus that many of us have heard, interacted with, my prayer is not that you just learn something more, something new, be reminded, but that God would move in your spirit and in your heart so that you can leave operating different than when you came in. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that, let me scroll down and begin. We are in our summer series on parables. And we are in our fourth week with looking at the parables, the stories of Jesus. Remember, these par a parable is a story that Jesus tells with a huge dynamite, dynamic, divine truth in it. And today's no different. And, but before we get to the parable, I want to speak about the chapter of the Bible right before the one we're going to look at. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about something specific. He's talking about what's going to happen in the future. Jesus is speaking prophetically about the end times. And he goes into the signs and the wonders and the catastrophes and all these strange and wonderful things that are going to happen at the end. That's Matthew 24. And then at the end of all that, he, he talks about his second coming, when he's going to return to the earth someday, which is strange because he's still in his first coming. Like he's still right here and he's like, someday I'm going to come back. And they're like, what? 
But he talks about how he's going to come back. And, and, and if the first time he came, he came as a baby, right? In a manger to a poor family. And he walked around as a rabbi, as a teacher, uh, no riches, no royalty. He died a criminal's death, humiliated. He was buried, resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven. But he talks about a second coming where he will come again someday. And when he comes back again, he won't come as a baby in swaddling cloth. He won't come as a teacher, but as a, as a king. He's not gonna come to die, but to rule and take those who have died and who have lived for him with him to an eternity. That's what he talks about in Matthew 24. All these future big ideas of the second coming, how he's going to leave and come back. And I can just imagine sitting, if you read Matthew 24, you can imagine sitting there going, what? It, it, tell us more. Make it clearer. And so Jesus goes, okay. And in Matthew 25, he begins to tell parables, stories to illustrate the very thing he'd just been talking about. So Matthew 25, verse 14, we join in. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven, that's my kingdom, my way, my father's kingdom can be illustrated. It, in other words, my kingdom, here's what it's like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal to you what my father's kingdom is like. It's like a man going on a long trip. In other words, there's a, there's, there's a man who leaves and he says this man called together his servants and he entrusted to them his money while he was gone. Now, immediately the parable, we have this wealthy owner who is leaving for an undisclosed time. So he gathers up his people and he, he begins to hand out his resources to them while he's gone. Now, there's something we have to get to before we get into the, to the rest of the parable. And that's right away we see that, that Jesus is setting up two things. One, he is the owner. And number two, these other people he's talking about in the story, they are the stewards. They don't own what he's leaving to them. It's on loan to them while he's gone. Which leads us to a question at the center of the parable we're gonna look at. And I want, look at, I want us to have this lens before we go into the parable. And that is this, what is stewardship and what does it mean to be a steward? Stewardship means it's, it's the job of taking, or taking care or supervising of something for somebody else. Stewardship derives from the word steward. It's this old English word, stig, which means house, and ward, which means to watch over. It's somebody who's watching over the affairs in the house for someone else, for the owner of the house. Now, biblical stewardship flows from this. You see, we are directing and handling and tending the resources for the owner of the universe. And this is the first and primary start to godly stewardship. What does that mean? It's recognizing that we are not owners, we are stewards. And this is vital and important for us to get our head and our hearts around so that we can operate here on this earth the way that he intended. See, God is the author and the owner that all life has. All things are from him. Your time on this earth, your days, your heartbeat, your skills, your talents, your giftings, it's all from God. He is the gift giver. Your resources, financial and material, relational, spiritual, they flow from God. Did you know that even your personality is from God? And I want you to turn to your significant other and, and I'll say, my personality is a gift from God. <laughs> yeah, that's you. <laughs> You're welcome. The breath in your lungs is a gift from God, the, the beating of your heart in your chest. You don't own that, it's from the creator. He's given you time on this earth. We are stewards 
The first step toward godly stewardship is having the correct perspective that all things in this life are his. The Bible has many verses. I could just fill the rest of it with verses that have to do with this, but here's just two from Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but then in Deuteronomy 10, 14, it goes beyond that. The Lord, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. And we don't even know about the heavens and the highest heavens and what all that means, but, but everything is his. And for me, it was important to, to settle in my life that all things in my life are from God. And, and because of that, all things in my life are God's. I am the steward of the life that he has entrusted me. I am the steward of the life that God has assigned me. And that means that I am managing and leveraging all that he has given me, all the resources, everything in my life for his glory and to build his kingdom, not my own. So my life, it's from him. It's not mine, it's his. My life, it's for him. It's not mine. You know, every, every week before service, before anybody arrives, the worship team, production team, myself, we gather right here and we put our hands out and we say, Father, here are our gifts. You, have, you are the gift giver and you have given us gifts and we give them right back to you. It is from you, it is for you. That is how I see, that is how we must see life. And anytime I'm in a situation, and this happens often, because as you go through life, you begin to think that things are mine. Mine. And, and, and we get that, right? We, you have things that are yours, and I have things that are mine. And any time I go through life and I find that God is calling me to step out in faith courageously, or to give generously, or to let go of something in my life that I, I am holding on to, I have to whisper something in my heart that I have said a million times to myself this. It is all God's anyways. It is just something I have said my whole life. It is, it is all God's anyways. My money, it's all God's anyways. My time, it's all God's anyways. My life, it's God's. And when it's all God's, I remind myself I'm not the owner. I'm the steward for my brief time here on earth. It's not mine. It was entrusted to me. I'm here to be faithful. I'm here to be courageous and how I invest it and leverage it, but it's all from him, and at the end of the day, it is all for him. And, and this sounds simple, it can, but this shifting, the shifting of this reality in our life, of this perspective and paradigm in your life, it is freeing in a world that we live in. Now, first of all, it's difficult because we have a white-knuckle grip on things that we perceive we have control over. And to say it's all God's, it means that we admit that we don't have as much control as we thought. It's freeing because having this perspective that it's all God's and my time here is God's and I'm gonna give it back to him. Everything from him is for him. It unplugs me from the matrix of perceived control that this world tries to preach to me. Everything is from God. Everything is for God. Clarence Stoughton, an author, says this about stewardship. I love this quote. Stewardship is everything we do after we say, I believe. You see, we can say we believe in this, we can say we believe in that, but our stewardship beyond that statement reveals the reality of what we actually believe. You see, when I said I do to Amy, I believed we were married, and she reminds me of that. Yes, I am married. I believe that, but it's how I steward our marriage vow after that moment. 
that that reveals exactly how much value I place on our covenant. My stewardship, can I answer that? (laughs) I'd be happy. You never know what God's going to do. You got to leave room for the spirit to move. I love you, Regina. (laughs) My dad, it was my dad? Okay, well, if it's my dad, we get security to take him out of here. (laughs) Have you ever been in a relationship where your heart or the vows that you made, the covenant you made, wasn't stewarded by the other person and you were left with the pain of that? You see, we say we believe in God, but our stewardship of our life beyond that statement reveals the reality what our heart believes. The way I invest my time and my talent and my treasure that has been entrusted to me is a litmus test for how much I actually believe the things I'm saying with my mouth that it is you, God, and is all for you and from you. We may say we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the stewardship of our life reveals a lot more about us than we probably like to admit. Stewardship is everything we do after we say, I believe. So just here in the middle, how are you doing? How are you doing stewarding the marriage or the relationships that he's given you? How are you doing stewarding the children that he has entrusted to your care? How are you doing with the business and the leadership gifts that he's given you? How are you doing with the resources? How are you doing with the life that God has blessed you with? Are you stewarding it for his glory and his kingdom? You see, when we make a shift to to believe that it is all God's and I am just a steward, it drastically changes the way that I, I hold on to things in my life. It changes how I oversee the talents and gifts he's given me. I now see they are for him and I can leverage them for his kingdom. It changes how I spend his money if I begin to see it's all his anyway. It changes how I begin to treat his children that he's given to me to raise, how I tend to the marriage that he's granted me, how I manage the time on earth, he said, I can have. It changes everything once you see that we are a steward of the life God has entrusted to us. It's from him and it is for him. So with that stewardship being the lens that we're looking through, now that that is the lens, let us dive back into this parable that Jesus is speaking about. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. The man called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. Jesus actually does this in Acts as he leaves and ascends and leaves everything to his people. But right here, in the original language, it doesn't say a bag of silver or gold in your Bible. It's called a talent. And a talent is a, is a measure of payment worth about 20 years salary and earnings. And so we can see that even the steward who gets one talent, one bag, it, it, is, it is a huge amount. Now, there's always this discussion. Whenever you read this, you go like, okay, am I, the, am I like the five? Am I a five-bagger? A two-bagger? Like, am I... Don't tell me I'm the one bagger. And here's the the simple solution that'll just solve this for the rest of your life. Um, We're all two baggers in here because there's probably people who have more than you and probably people who have less than you. So you can just settle that and stop trying to like compare yourself and go, oh, oh, that guy's a one. No, no, no. So you are a two bagger, okay? Just take that and roll with it. Now, what we see first of all here is that the master, the king, is generous 
Even to the, to the third steward, he gives a huge amount. And isn't that true in our life? That even to, to, the, to, to the least fortunate of us, we have breath in our lungs and a purpose and a calling and a beating heart in our chest. It says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant who had two bags of silver went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Three different stewards, two different ways of responding to the wishes of the king. Two of the stewards decide what to do is wise and they invest and they work and they leverage what the, the master has left them for him. And the third buries. He just buries it, which is fine, right? I mean, he didn't lose anything, correct? He didn't lose anything. I mean, he's supposed to steward it and burying assures that Nothing happens. And that's the point. Nothing happens. Verse 19, after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for that how they had used whose money? His. Again, there's a stewardship there for our life. Not just our money, our breath, our talents. He could give an account for how we have used his life that he has given us. So it says in verse 20, the servant who had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more. Master, you've given me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I give you many more responsibilities. Let us celebrate together. One translation says, come and share. Come and share in your master's joy. He's been faithful with a few. But then he says, come and share your master's joy. And here's what we don't understand. I mean, first of all, five bags of silver in this context is a huge amount. But here's the point. Um, however much you think you're gonna have or do have on earth, it pales in comparison to what God has for us and for you in the life to come. We might invest and leverage everything we have in God's kingdom. It might, well, this is a lot. But it says, come and share in your master's joy. You have been, I'm gonna give you, make you responsible for much more. Let's celebrate together. There is more on the other side of this life than we could ever get on this earth. Then verse 22, the servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I earned two more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, one thing that you have to realize right away is that the servant who had the five bags and the one who had the two bags, they got the same reward. And this tells us something about our God. It wasn't that he was grading them on the result of the amount. It was about the condition of their heart. The one who is given two bags receives the same eternal reward as the one who received five bags. You're not responsible for somebody else's gifts and talents. You're just responsible for your life that God has given you for this one life. As one poet said, you only get one life, one shot. Do not miss your chance. And so here we have, you have this one reality that the Father entrusts us. Whether it's a lot or less, the reward is great for those invest. We've heard it said before, right? The one who dies with the most toys wins. Wins what? The reality is the one who dies with the most toys dies. <laughs> Just like the person who has no toys. Here's, we take nothing with us from this life. There is nothing that we take from us in this life. The thing that will last beyond this world is the souls of people 
And so what better to invest ourselves into, not in the things that are temporary, but in the things that are eternal and leveraging my entire life, not for, not for temporary gain that I can't take with me, but for eternal gain that will last into eternity. So I invest and leverage everything that is temporal for that which is eternal, which means my life is to be spent glorifying my Father and illuminating Jesus so everyone around me comes to know him and see him and has a chance and opportunity to choose Jesus and also have that great gift in heaven. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. You harvest crops that you didn't plant and you gather crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Interesting, I hid it in the earth. I hid it in the temporal, temporary place. I placed all of my hopes, I placed everything you gave me here in this life, in this earth. You catch that? I invested everything that God gave me in my life right here on this earth. And he goes, look, here it is. Here's the life you gave me. Look, here it is back. Now the steward reveals something in his speech he doesn't know he's revealing. He talks about the master. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you harvested and planted what you didn't. I, I was afraid, so I buried. The steward makes a statement about the master, the king's character, who he is. The steward has a view of the king that has affected the way he stewards. He was afraid. And the master, even in this section, he replies, oh, you thought you knew me, did you? You thought you knew me, is how he responds. You can almost hear the inflection. But what we want to see here is that the third steward, what changed everything wasn't his, his uh, economic education. It wasn't uh, the, the talent he did have. It wasn't the amount he had. What made all the difference was how he saw the father, was how he viewed the master. That's what made all the difference. The steward's response was out of fear. It paralyzed him from being a good steward. And here's why that matters. How you view God makes all the difference to how you go forth and live for him. How you view God will make all the difference about how you live for him daily. It will change the way you behave. It will change the way you steward the life he has given you. The heart of the steward wasn't in the right place. It didn't view the master correctly. And that's why we can say this, how we view God is, is more important than we can imagine, ever imagine. That's why in the past three, four sermons I've done, we have talked over and over about how God sees us. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. All of those are about how does God respond to those sons and daughters? And how does he see you? Let me, just, can, let me ask you again. Does God, when, when you think of God looking at you, does he wear a frown? Does he cross his arms in disgust and go, oh, there you are, skulking back into church. Yeah, you better clean up first. I got some penance for you. Like, how do you view God? How you, how you think that he sees you makes all the difference. And if, and if you find that you struggle with those things, I would beg you to listen to the last couple of weeks' messages that God views you as a son and daughter and he moves heaven and earth to come find you and seek you and forgive you and love you. And he doesn't base his grace on how you've done. He bases it on what his son has done. Praise Jesus. How you view God makes all the difference in how you will steward the life he's given you. If we see him as the loving father, but full of grace, full of love, encouraging us to be courageous, to step out in boldness and faith, that you will see you're a favored son, a favored daughter on this planet. 
living for him, you will go forth courageously and illuminate Jesus to those around you. If we see him as a strict taskmaster, wanting us to pay penance, we'll live as servants and slaves, fearful of his wrath and careful with the light he's asked us to share. You see, the third steward in this story proves that he didn't know the master's heart. He entirely misses the character of the king and it causes him to live in an inappropriate manner. And what do we learn from this parable? First of all, we have to see that God is generous with all of us, to every one of us, whether it be five, two, one. There, his, his generosity to people is amazing. Even the third steward receives a vast sum, a life, just like us. Each of us has received more than we could ever imagine or realize. Even the most unfortunate of us in this room or listening online, live streaming from places in the, in the world where you, you, you can't be seen as a believer. God has granted us breath in our lungs, a heartbeat in our chest, and a purpose in this life to march forth to whatever he would have for us, to the reward he has eternally. And, and not to mention here in this place, in the, in the world, in the, in the nation we live in, the, the material and the relational wealth, the freedom to worship that we, we experience. God is generous with us. He has been generous with each of us in this place. And we also learn that knowing the heart of God will change everything that we respond to him. This is why it is important to know God's nature, to know God's word, to, to be feeding your soul, not just on Sundays for an hour, but during the week, to know God to know what he says about you, to know his nature, because the more you know of him, the more you know how he wants you to live. That third servant didn't know the father and he lived incorrectly. May we know God by knowing his word and who he is and his nature. How we view God changes everything. And finally, we learn that God takes stewardship very seriously. There, there were actual results and implications for each steward based on how they handled what was entrusted to them. And I'm not just talking about money here at all. We are stewards of the life that God has given us. He is coming back. In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about all those things about how I am leaving for a while. I am entrusting you, but I will return. He is coming back. He's given us gifts and abilities and resources love and forgiveness and talents, time, energy, a physical body. He has deployed you in the place where you are for the people around you. He has entrusted to you a life to leverage for him in his kingdom. And remember, everything that you have, everything that you've been working for, everything that you hope for, listen, you can't keep the things of this earth. And so if you're gonna take your life and, and, and invest it and bury it in this earth, we miss the heart of God. We can't take it with us when we pass. We can't take it with us when he comes back. Stewardship matters to God. And that has to do with our heart for him. It's about how we know him, how we view him. And in light of that, how we go forth and live for him. So are you an owner or are you a steward? The life God has given you, are, are, are you do you have some perceived control over it? Or do you understand that it is a gift from him, and therefore, out of gratitude, it is a gift to him. And, and, and the bottom line is, are we entitled or are we entrusted? The entitled person says, this is mine. I've earned it. 
This, this life, these things, this little stuff I've carved for myself over here, this is mine. While entrusted says, this is yours. And all that I have is yours. And all that I am is yours, Father. Take this and use me as I leverage my gifts for your kingdom. And may anyone and everyone come to know you through the life you've given me. The blessings for those who believe they are entitled or entrusted is completely different. And those two kinds of people live differently for the king. It seems from this parable that the response from God toward these two different people is unique and eternal. And how we view our lives and our stuff, the things we own, think we own, our stewardship, it matters to God more than we know. Stewardship is everything we do after we say, I believe. And just to drive this all home, you've, you've, you've seen the t-shirts, you know who we are. We love God and we love people. That's, that's, that's our DNA of our church. And Jesus says that love God, love people. It says the entire Bible hangs on that truth. It says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We have looked at what it means in the past months about loving God with our heart, our affections, our soul, the deepest part of us, our mind and how we think. But what does it mean to love God with all our strength? I mean, do you really believe that this verse that we're supposed to live our entire life by has to do with your bench press? Did you ever consider what it means to love God with all your strength? I'm glad you, you have been wondering, right? It has more to do than our muscle fibers. Loving God in this context, in the Jewish sense, the Hebrew sense that was given about loving God with all your strength means I will love God above all things in this world and with all of the might and strength of my life, I will bring it to bear and leverage it for his kingdom. My personality, with all the might of who I am, I will love my God. With the, the, the business savvy he's given me, with all the strength he's given me in that realm, I love God. With my family and how I tend them, with all the might I have, with all the strength I have in my life, I will love him. With my resources, the strength of my resources, I will love him. It means that I love God with all the tangibles and the intangibles that he's placed in my life as a steward. Here's an example. Some of you, some of you are amazing leaders. You're leaders in the community. You're leaders in your business. That's part of the strength of your life that God has placed within you. That's a gift that God has given you. And you're out there leading at high levels. The question is, are you loving God and leveraging the gift of leadership for his kingdom? That is loving God with all your strength, to love him with the might of your leadership. Others of us have gifts of organization and administration. That's part of the gifts he has given you. Are you stewarding those gifts and leveraging for his kingdom? In this room alone and for those listening, there are so many gifts in this house, gifts of hospitality and service and, and, and activism and, and love, all these things that he has placed within his body. Those are gifts and strengths and loving God with all your strength is to take those things he has put in your life and to love him above all things. So what has he placed in your world, in your life? One of the main ways this is, is through our influence. That is the strength of our life. You, there are areas of life where you have great influence. It could be a, in an office. It could be in a home. It could be recreating. Wherever it is where you have influence, loving God with all your strength is to say, with all the influence I have, I will illuminate Jesus above all things. 
That is, leveraging all that he has given us. It's all God's. And beyond that, we don't get to take any of it with us. He has entrusted you with resources. He's entrusted you with gifts so that we would wisely steward them and leverage them for his kingdom purposes for the short time we have here so that by our short lives, we can have an eternal significance on those around us as they see Jesus and choose him. And in the end, I want you to wrestle with a few things from this parable that that we're gonna need for this journey as we leave. First of this, knowing God, knowing his heart, and knowing how he would want you to respond to his love. That he is not some taskmaster who wants you to pay penance and who's waiting for you to fail. He's, He's waiting for you to flourish. And he's given you great gifts to see you go forth and leverage those. Also, it's it's stepping into this reality and getting into the habit of saying in your heart of hearts, it's all God's anyway. The more places you can interject that sentence into your life, I've found I live less, I don't hold on to things as tightly. I believe to lift them up to him. It's all yours anyway. And when my hands are open to give, I've found that my hands are open to receive so much more that he is giving me. It's all from him. It's all for him. And this final prayer as we go into communion, that this would be a prayer of our heart today, that all of my life is yours. It's from you. It's for you. Will you pray that with me real quick? All my life is yours. It's from you. It's for you. And as we go into communion, I want you to echo that. All my life, God, is yours. It's from you. Every part of you knit me in my mother's womb. You've knit me. It's from you and it's for you. As we take communion today, I want us to do it together as a group if that's okay with you. If you're new to this church, we take communion as often as, we, as you want to. Jesus says to do this in remembrance of me. There was no condition of like how often. And so if you'd like communion, we have some up at the front and the back. You can grab that. Um, but before we take communion, I want us to pause and take, take stock of our heart and say, Lord, where have I been burying the gifts you've given me for my own kingdom, for my own sake? And just say, forgive me. Take a, take a quick look and say, Father, forgive me for those places. And then as we take the symbol of Jesus' body, it was broken for us that we may have a new covenant. Take and eat. And the symbol of Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our sins, for healing, Jesus, King Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that we read about you loving the Father with all of your strength to the end of yourself, to the cross. It's to the cross. You sacrificed all. Thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, take and drink. And Orchard, and those joining us, there is one correct response to a king 
who grants us such great generosity. And that is, in this context, to worship. To worship with all our strength, all our heart, soul, and mind. And so as we go into this song, which is one that many of you have grew up singing, I'm gonna ask that, that your heart, soul, mind, and strength would respond and worship to Jesus who paid it all for you so that we can leave these four walls and go live it all for him. Amen? Let's worship together.